Welcome in to the Fools on Stools podcast. My name is Colin Brown, and as always, I'm joined by my co-star, Kevin Walker, and one of our lead insiders, Mr. Tyler Luker. Today is Thursday, July 14th. Hopefully, you're having a wonderful day from wherever you're listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. We got a lot to talk about today, everything in the world of baseball, including the Home Run Derby and a sneak peek into the power rankings. And in the NBA, DeAndre Ayton is move, uh, officially back with the Phoenix Suns, and Donovan Mitchell might be on the move, maybe to the Knicks. Who knows? We got all that, a mixed bag, and make sure, as always, you tune in to Hour 2, where we've got Cullen's Corner, Kevin's Kickback, and this week, we got a little bit of Tyler Luker, Luker's Lock, and whatever else Tyler's got in store for us. Make sure you tune into that. Boys... How are we doing today? Well, I think we're doing fantastic. But for the people who are only listening to the show, I urge you to come watch us on Twitch because we just played some impromptu dress up. And I'm currently wearing a football helmet. Um, Our insider, Tyler Luker, is wearing a catcher's mask and was lovely enough to play the harmonica for us at the beginning of the show. And Cullen is a bit of a mixture between about to give you a tech and Mike long snap of football. I don't know. I'm ready for training camp, man. Yeah. So you're missing out. If you're not tuning into the show on, on video, it's hilarious. Um, and the way you can find it is if you go on to the fools on stools, Twitter, uh, we post it there. So uh, it's a, it's a show that, that you don't want to miss, but Boys, I'm ready to talk some sports. We got a whole bunch of stuff to get into. And, um, you know, it's going to be a little bit later, an hour or two, but I'm hoping that Tyler can redeem himself for his Lucas lock. Yeah, might need, might need one pretty badly. We don't got to talk about the old one. <laughs> no, listen, uh, yeah, I don't think – I'm going to be talking too much hockey today, so I think you're safe. That's for sure. I do but, have a national day for y'all today, though. You got a national day? Right. I do. Let's do it quick. Let's get into work some MLB. Today's national day is National Mac and Cheese Day. Who, who doesn't love some good old mac and cheese? How, how do y'all like y'all's mac and cheese? Uh, so believe it or not, I wasn't a fan of it growing up. I don't know. It was just one of those things I just wasn't a fan. Uh it wasn't something that like my parents ate when they were younger. So it was just like not introduced to me. And then like I discovered what it was and I was like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing ever. And yeah, no, I just listen, I'm I'm as long as it's got cheese and some uh some good uh some good mac, I'm straight. I'm good either way. Tyler, how about you? I don't know how many variations you can get, but that's I true. Yeah. It's it's top three uh sides i'd say for a dinner okay that's fair (laughs) i think but i think mac and cheese is one of those things that you if you get a big enough bowl you can just eat all for like a whole meal true so shout out mac and cheese man being an all-time for sure yeah well speaking of things that cannot be debated i think everyone loves a little bit of the home run derby and without any further ado, let's take it over to some Major League Baseball, where the full official bracket for the Home Run Derby has been announced. I'm going to run through it quickly, and I'm going to need your guys' opinions afterwards. Uh, and they are ranked one through eight, 
So I'm just going to name the numbers, name the players, and then we'll get y'all's thoughts. Uh, in the number one slot, we got Kyle Schwarber going up against the eight Albert Pujols. Uh, four or five is Juan Soto versus Jose Ramirez. Uh, two seven is Pete Alonzo versus Ronald Acuna Jr. And just announced, like right before we went live, actually, uh, Corey Seager, number three, going up against Julio Rodriguez, a little division battle right there as the number six overall seed. Boys, how are we feeling about the home run derby? I'm feeling good. Uh, I will be there. But I think Pete's going to fly through and get to the final because, uh, I mean, his, his batting coach, same place every time. I mean, he's won it the last two years for a reason. Uh, but I like the bracket this year. No Dodger, but that's sad. But Corey Seager making his return, he's got the most experience hitting home runs there. I could see him going far. That's for sure. So you think if you – not because I mean it's not right away, so you don't have to give your predictions if you don't want to. So you're saying Alonzo's probably the favorite, as he probably should be winning the last two, but you like Seeger's chances. Uh over on the other side of the bracket, um, is there a guy that could potentially meet Alonzo or Seeger or whoever in the finals that you find particularly captivating, a little interesting? Um, you know, I want to say Pujols, but I don't think he's got it in him. Uh I don't know. Schwarber's got just such a great home run swing. I could see it happening. I don't think uh, Jay Ram will go that far because he's not really a home run hitter. Uh, Juan Soto jumps out to me because he did really well last year. Um, and it was kind of surprising. But uh, I think I'm going to go with uh, the final Pete's for sure in there and then whoever's meeting him and I think Pete's going to win. Okay, so you're predicting Pete Alonso to become the second person in Major League Baseball history to win three straight home run derbies, joining mm -hmm. the late great Ken Griffey Jr. Um, me and I'm glad you said Juan Soto because me and Kevin on Tuesday's episode, episode 32, we had Soto as kind of like our dark horse, like he could potentially be the guy that kind of sneaks in there. Mm -hmm. Do you believe he would be potentially the best chance at knocking Alonso out? Or is there somebody else you have in mind? Um, I think Seager's a better shot to knock Alonzo out. Okay. Um, because uh, he just has experience in that stadium. Because how Dodger Stadium works is during the day, like earlier on, the ball's flying out of the yard. But as soon as night hits, the wind starts blowing in from the ravine. And it's going to be much harder to hit those home runs. Uh, and I think Seager's just more of a home run hitter than Soto is. And he's used to that those conditions. So I think that's what gets him the edge. How many seasons did he play with the Dodgers? He came up in late 2014, was Dodger till 2021. So seven years. Yeah. It's a long time. He is very familiar with the home run derby host. And, he, and he's been in a derby before when it was in San Diego. Right. Absolutely. Kevin, you got any questions here for the home run derby? Any thoughts? I, I really like the the matchup between Juan Soto and Jose Ramirez as the four or five, but I like the uh, I like uh, Tyler's prediction for Corey Seager to be the one that could knock out Mister uh, Mister Polar Bear because uh, 
you know, I think anything that Tyler says, I instantly feel more confident in if it's something that I already believe, especially when it comes to baseball. Um, but it does seem like the three of us all kind of do see eye to eye. It's going to be nice to see Albert Pujols um, playing in his final year of baseball, being in the home run derby, uh, whether if he can compete that well or not, it's just going to be a good thing for baseball. Um, but I think, I think Juan Soto as a dark horse is, uh, I think is a good pick for, for what this, what this home run derby could be. Yeah. I'm just, I'm looking at the chat here. We, we still got some comments coming in about our wardrobes and stuff. So I appreciate all the viewers here live on Twitch. Uh, if you do want to check us out, we are on Twitch uh, backslash fools on stools. Make sure you give us a watch if you want to lo- uh, live watch the show, and we appreciate it. Um, but getting back to the Major League Baseball, yeah, man. I Listen, it's no secret. I am a Seattle Mariners fan. I know it doesn't show in my background. It's actually on that wall over there. But um, I really hope Julio uh, has a good show. I mean, I'm not going to argue with your analysis, Tyler, um, I think Seager's got a really good shot at potentially going far in this home run derby. Uh, Julio's just going to be one of those future stars that I am so glad is on our franchise, and hopefully he will stay for many more years to come. He, him, I mean, if Pujols wasn't in it, because obviously Pujols is going to be the main uh, kind of attraction to him being in his final year. Julio's got potential, though, to potentially really electrify the crowd if he gets hot. So I'm really interested to see what I'm, you know, looking to see from him. Juan Soto, man. Yeah, he he to me has got a real legitimate shot of winning this. Um, I would think a Soto Alonzo final is about pretty near and dear uh, to the possibility. But yeah, I'm really excited to watch this home run derby. I think we were talking about this last episode, Tyler. I don't know if an all-star weekend in sports does it quite like the MLB, which is like there, you know, the the game, obviously the home run derby, the whole attraction and everything. I would there be any improvements in your mind of improving All-Star Weekend? Uh, I mean, they have been improving it with more and more events. Uh, the new home run derby is so much better than the old one. Uh, I think it's perfect. It is the best All-Star Week out of any uh, U.S. sport, I'd say. Um, out of the new sport. But it's the home run derby. It, it doesn't get old like the dunk contest can because – Hitting bombs never gets old. I mean, that's true. Uh, that's right. They say chicks dig the long. I don't know. I just I think more representatives, honestly. Uh, why limit the teams? I mean, I get you want certain guys to be all stars, but I really liked uh, the addition of the commissioner's choice, having Pujols and Miguel Cabrera added, because then you get to see those guys swan songs uh, in their final career, and they could come up clutch. I mean, Albert Pujols in the derby's cool too um and then you have like the young guys like julio like st- putting their stamp on the game um because i remember back in what 2019 whenever cleveland hosted it and their home run derby which is probably the best one i ever I ever saw whenever jock peterson and vladdy were going back to back that was some of the most fun i've ever seen like That's watching insane. baseball and after that derby uh, Vlad Jr. like turned his season around. I mean, he turned a lot of people's heads towards him and now he's a star. I mean, so I think it's fun. I can't wait to see it. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited for this all-star week. It's looking good. 
Hey, Colin, I don't know if you knew this also, but your but your guy Julio Rodriguez, he uh he actually is the fourth youngest participant in a home run derby. He's only 21 years old. Yeah, no, he's yeah, I, so, so I, I obviously knew about Julio um before the beginning of the season, but I don't know if I was as confident in him as Tyler, believe it or not. Shocker enough, Tyler was really backing Julio. Um and I'm I'm so just happy with how good he is. Um, this guy's the limit for him. I think he's going to be one of the best players in baseball for the next ten plus years. And I'm so excited that he plays in the Pacific Northwest. But yeah, I mean he's his pace right now of the way he's. I mean he's on track for like 30 home runs this year, and I think like 30 stolen bases as well, which is it's a, it's a major accomplishment for a uh, for a rookie. So. Very happy to see. Hopefully, we'll get some good moments. Um, I want to ask you, uh, well, both of you guys. So, Ronald Cunha obviously had that major injury last year that kept him out of the playoff run for the Braves. And, um, you know, he obviously wasn't a part of the – he was a part of the championship team, but he wasn't actively contributing during that uh, late stretch that they had. Do you think – because I, I personally, I'm a, I'm a huge Ronald Cunha fan. I think he's great for the sport. I love the pizzazz. I love the energy that he brings. He got a tough draw with Alonzo, admittedly, um, obviously being the two-time favorite. Do we give him any potential shot at, you know, maybe making it interesting or even maybe forcing, like, an extra session or something? Because, I mean, he's it's not like he's a scrub. It's not like he's in there for no reason. But, I mean, he's going up against, as as you put it, Kevin, the, uh, the polar bear. So it's, it's a tough draw for him, unfortunately. I think he can make it interesting because guys have taken Alonzo pretty far, but I don't think you can take him down. I mean, this is what Pete like lives for this time of year. And in terms of like just a power hitter, nobody has a more pure one. The only argument is Stanton. Uh, he, he's built for the home run derby. And I think Alonzo should have been the number one seed. So I think uh, Cunha got screwed a little bit with that, but I don't think it'll be a blowout. I think it will be close, but I think Alonzo's going to pull through. Yeah, it's tough. Kevin, you got anything you wanted to uh, to add before we switch gears here? Yeah, I think that, you know, obviously if Acuna can get hot, then it'll get interesting. It just depends on how they start because if, if, it's, if Alonzo's hot early and he can just keep going – and then he'll win the first round undoubtedly, but it's, you know, how long can he keep that stamina going? So um, it, I think Acuna has a, has a chance. You know, I think you kind of always have a chance in the home run derby because anything can happen. You get a few stretch of, a, of a, you know, get a stretch of a few bad balls and, you know, you lose out on some runs. So it's just, it, you know, it could, it could go down either way. I think it could still be interesting though. I think, Top top to bottom, the you know the rate the matchups that we're gonna have is gonna make for a pretty good home run derby in my opinion. Well said, well said. All right, now I know that's one event, and we're gonna be talking more of the All Star Weekend once we get closer to it. Hopefully, we can get Tyler back on the show to give us a little breakdown on that. But I did want to also break in because there are actual games that are being played right now, and 
we the MLB power rankings week 14 has come out with their top 10. I'm going to run through them quickly and I want to get y'all's thoughts on the current kind of just landscape of baseball, what we're kind of looking at. Cause I mean, we are on the home stretch. I think we're, I'm not sure where the halfway mark is, but if we're there, we just recently passed it. Um, so we are looking forward towards the rest of the season. At number one, we got the New York Yankees, two, the Houston Astros, three, the Los Angeles Dodgers, four, the New York Mets, five, the Atlanta Braves, six, the San Diego Padres, seven, Boston Red Sox, eight, Milwaukee Brewers, nine, the Philadelphia Phillies, and at number 10, rounding out the top 10, the St. Louis Cardinals. Boys, how are we looking uh, overall the landscape of baseball? You want to go first, Kevin? No, you got it. You're baseball, man. All right. Uh, I mean – both leagues are very top heavy right now, uh, but the best teams in baseball, like I think there's three teams and they're like head and shoulders above everybody else. Uh, I'd say the Yankees, the Astros and the Dodgers, they are a whole nother level. I mean, the Mets and the Braves are there too, but the Mets have free fallen uh, as of late and the Braves have really turned it up. But Something about uh, the Astros, Dodgers, and Yankees. If you look at the run differential, the Yankees lead baseball with 176 plus runs. The Dodgers are 155, and the Astros are 98. The Mets are 82, and the Braves are 69. They are performing high level offensively and defensively. Um, I think that, in, in general, just will come. Come playoff time, come second half, it's going to pull them way further ahead than any other team in the top 10. And, I mean, the AL is the better league right now. I mean, the AL East is crazy. But in terms of running the league, it comes down to the Astros, Dodgers, and the Yankees. Kevin, you want to jump in? Yeah, so before I address the the top few um, I want to give a big old congrats to the Baltimore Orioles. They're number 17. I know that's not nowhere near the top or nowhere near competition as far as the top guys in the game, but for the Baltimore Orioles to be 45 and 44, and we talked about this um, off camera, but you know they only won like 52 games last year. So for them to already be 45 and 44, it's a big turnaround for them, and I just think that that's really cool. Um, now, obviously, talking about the big dogs, I agree with you, Tyler. I mean, it is, it's the top three. Um, you know, obviously, baseball's baseball. If you have a slip up and you go into a little, little bit of a losing game skid, anything can happen. But, you know, it we're still, you know, we got a lot of ball to play. Um, the all-star break, you know, can, re, can rejuvenate a lot of players and give them that breast that they need, uh, even teams as a whole. So, We'll see where this looks a few weeks out uh, of the all-star break, but um, I don't think, you know, I think the Yankees in the past, uh, people around baseball have always made fun of the Yankees and spending a lot of money in free agency and then not kind of really doing anything with it. It looks like they're doing a lot with it right now. Uh, they have a really, really strong pitching lineup uh, and, you know, they just obviously have hitters all over that squad. So, you know, I don't think it's any surprise uh, to the be the to the top five really uh, maybe other than the Braves and the Astros just with the Braves having a turnaround even without Freddie Freeman in that system but um, we'll see where we look a, a few weeks after All Star break. When 
if you look at the top teams and you compare them to other teams in the city, uh, for example, the the Mets and the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Angels, the Angels and the Mets think similar. They build through free agency. That's what they do. The Dodgers and the Yankees used to be that sort of franchise for 40 plus years. Uh, Yankees probably almost 100 years at this point. But now those two franchises have focused on building from within and finding guys who are castaways like Jose Trevino and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa and using them and recultivating them and making them better players. Justin Turner, Max Muncy, Chris Taylor. The Angels, they go and sign big names. They're struggling because they have no pitching, but the Mets, they're signing big names and they're successful because of it. Uh, but come later in the year, I think the built from within teams, they're closer. I think they go farther. Uh, and the Astros, they're built like that too. I mean, they lost Correa and then they get Pena and they haven't skipped a beat. I mean, built from within, have if you put money towards development, I think it leads to much better results. And I think every team who's not playing at Minute Maid, Yankee Stadium or Dodger Stadium, they should be taking notes and learning what those teams do because they are big market and they have big market money, but they do small market strategy. I think it's paying off. So we've actually got a question from our chat here live on Twitch. It's uh, our Fools on Stools co-host who cannot be here with us, Anthony Council, uh, loving to chime in. He's actually got a question for you, Tyler. Um, he wants to know who's going to make the biggest jump after the all-star break and potentially really – down the line towards October, um, making a push for the playoffs and going deep in the playoffs. So it might be a weird take, but I'm going to go with the Philadelphia Phillies because I think they're going to do what the Braves did last year whenever they when Acuna went down, and they're going to just buy, 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 buy at the deadline, which is always right after the All-Star game because um, they're playing good baseball and they're missing Bryce Harper. Um, in their last 10 uh, – They've lost four in a row, but in general, Nola's pitching great. Wheeler's pitching great. If they can get bullpen arms and get some production to replace Harper, I think they really can make a run on a wild card. It's going to be hard to push past the Mets and the Braves, but I think that's my National League team that's going to really change how their direction their season's going and push. And with the AL, I think either the Blue Jays White Sox or the Mariners, honestly, the Mariners have already, they're already making their push. Uh, like I thought they were like going into the season, I thought they were going to win the division and they slumped out of the gate, but I think they're, they're set up the best. The White Sox need to fire their manager. The Blue Jays just did. Um, Blue Jays are playing in a really tough division, so that might hold them back. But the White Sox, I mean, how many games the White Sox are, only back four games, they're under 500. That division is there for the taking. Um, Gut feeling right now, you had to pick Blue Jays or White Sox. Who are you more confident in turning it around? I'm going to go with the Blue Jays just because I, Larusa is he's cooked. He's not a great manager, and that team's going to continue to underperform with him at the helm. The Blue Jays wised up and fired Montoya, um, and I think they'll get a wild card spot, but. Right now, the White Sox are—they're terrible. I mean, 
they were going to the season. They had, I think, top four odds at the World Series. Mm-hmm. And now they're not in a wild card spot. Their run differential is under 26 for a team that's supposed to be able to pitch and hit. I mean, the Orioles, better record, better run differential. I mean, and they are playing with prospects. Like To, to add to your point, Tyler, they're one game ahead of the Texas Rangers right now in terms of record. And, wow, I mean, their payroll is insane. I mean, the talent they have, they should be making a run at the World Series, and they're not. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd either go with the AL being the Mariners or the Blue Jays and the NL being the Phillies. Interesting take. I want to circle back to what you said at the beginning whenever you were going through your hierarchy. We talked a little bit pre-show. I'm a bigger fan of the Mets than you are. Can you really – I want you just to really just let me – or break it down for me of why you think the Mets don't quite reach that echelon of the Astros, the Dodgers, and the Yankees, and what maybe they could do at the trade deadline to potentially bolster their chances. Well, with the Mets, they aren't that healthy, um, and they're relying on Scherzer and DeGrom to be pitching heavy-loaded innings. I mean, DeGrom hasn't even pitched an inning in Major League Baseball yet this season. Uh, these guys are injury prone at this point in their career. Um, they re- they're going to have to buy starting pitching at the deadline, no matter what. But I think that they're a step back because the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Astros, they haven't really had like a free fall like the Mets have to let, to go from being way up the best team in, in baseball at one point to now being what a couple games ahead of the Braves Um two and a half games ahead, it's not looking good for them. I mean, it's going to be a tough battle, but the Braves are better. I mean, now they did did just recently win a series against the Braves, did they not? I believe you're right. Um, But but still, I, I don't think the Mets are always going to be the Mets. They've been doing this for years, and their manager, Buck Showalter, great manager, known for taking teams from guys or teams that should be making the playoffs, but aren't and taking them deep into the playoffs, but he's never won a pennant. He's never won the world series. He's known uh, for being almost there, but not quite there. I mean, when he was with the Yankees in the late nineties and then the diamondbacks, he was fired. And then the year later they won the world series. So I think with him at the helm, your ceilings not as high as it is when you're with the other teams just because they're not as good. I mean, Dusty Baker's the same situation, but Dusty's gotten to the World Series on numerous occasions, come within one game multiple times. Buck Showalter, not even close. I mean, but the Mets, they, they've shown it the last month because it is a shortened season and they've had to play a lot of games, but good teams they win games they find a way uh and for them to kind of limp into the all-star break uh with only a division lead under five games when they were leading by so many earlier in the season i think the braves are going to give them a real big run for their money and i don't think you count out the phillies i mean that division is is like suicide i mean the marlins are only two games under 500 as well so one team's going to give, and the other one is going to pull through. I mean, it's how it always is in the East. 
uh, AL and NL, but I think the Mets are going to slow down because I think they're relying on two guys that are injury prone and streaky. We do have another question over on our Twitch chat, uh, again, from Anthony Council. Appreciate him tuning in. He wants to know what team has been the biggest surprise so far this season, in your opinion? The Orioles. I mean, to this point, I mean, they are over 500. I didn't think I'd see that for another two years. I mean, they have the number one overall pick in this year's draft. I mean, they are playing phenomenal baseball. It's a real joy to see. It's it's remind it's reminiscent of Moneyball. I mean, Moneyball had a bunch of older guys, but these are prospects that are coming up. And their best it, prospect isn't even playing that good yet. Exactly. Just wait, wait for Adley to show up. I mean, because that team's going to be a whole nother level. I they are easily the most surprising team because nobody thought they would be at this point. I mean, there's other teams that are kind of surprising that they're this good, like. I didn't think the Yankees were going to make the playoffs. Uh, I'll, I'll put my foot in my mouth on that one. But <laughs> uh, the Orioles have shattered any expectations already, uh, especially to be going into the all-star break with almost as many wins as they had last year. Um, if they can manage to finish above 500, even if it's by one or two games, this season is a massive success for them. Very nice, very nice. Kevin, you got anything? I mean, I said it beforehand. Yeah, I mean, Baltimore's killing it as far as their expectations go. But, I mean, they have the number one pick coming up. And, like I said, their top prospect's not even playing that good yet. And go figure this team is – I don't think I'm going to say is being led, but one of their leaders is Rugnet Odor. Go freaking figure. But – I mean, this Baltimore Orioles team, I, I, I'm, I'm pulling for them just because, you know, you like to see the little man win sometimes. And Baltimore has done their fair struggle, their fair share of struggling. Um, so it'd be nice to see them finish over 500 in, uh, when, when the uh, end of the season comes around. Maybe, who knows, maybe even more. Yes, very interesting indeed. Speaking of those Baltimore Orioles, we got one more topic I'd like to jump into before we head over to the association. Uh, a couple teams are on uh, double-digit win streaks. The Baltimore Orioles, as we previously mentioned, are on that 10-game winning streak to improve to over 500 for the first time in a very long time, safe to say. And the uh, Seattle Mariners. Yes, the Seattle Mariners. Tyler Seattle Mariners, if I must say. Yeah, go ahead. On 11 Soak game it win streak. in. Soak <laughs> it in. Oh, man. Rallying tonight against the Texas Rangers. They are now on an 11-game win streak. I am on cloud nine because, listen, I nothing's for sure with them. We know, we know the history and everything, so I'm not going to dive into that. I'm just going to very happily just live in the moment right now. But I want to know, in y'all's opinion, who has looked more impressive – through their win streaks, the Seattle Mariners or the Baltimore Orioles? Uh, I'm going to go with the Mariners because they started this win streak off by taking two out of three from Baltimore. Uh, they are finding ways to win. Or Excuse me. They had a three-game win streak, then lost the first game to Oakland, and then started streaking again. They're finding ways to win, um, and they're doing it against good teams. Yeah, they played Oakland and Washington – 
but they had a four game sweep of Toronto, two game sweep of San Diego, both playoff teams at the moment, but they're finding ways to win tonight. They, they were down early and then they rallied in the last three innings of the game to take the lead and win. That's what championship caliber teams do. They find a way to manufacture runs. They find a way to take the lead late. Um, and Baltimore, yes, they've been impressive because it's been shocking, but I think Seattle's more impressive because they're doing it in a way that a playoff team does it. And if they've had one loss since that, uh, the brawl in Los Angeles against the angels and, uh, Tyler, I'm not going to comment on anything because you just said what championship teams do and you associated with the Seattle Mariners and I'm just going to keep quiet. Kevin, can you please give me your thoughts? Please. I, I kind of, I'm kind of on the same page as Tyler. I think you gotta, you kind of gotta go with the Mariners, not even just because you're on the pod, but just, you know, they've, they've been killing it. Um, obviously being the Rangers tonight on a comeback win, like Tyler said, just coming back and pulling out 11 games. Uh, that's, that's big, especially going into all-star break. If you can keep that momentum going afterwards, I mean, I mean, I dare say sky's the limit for the Mariners. God, man, y'all are – my heart can't take this, man. I, I don't know if I can <laughs> – Oh, don't worry. If they if they, if they they crap out, we're going to let you hear it anyway. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're 11 games back. So, I, I, listen, I, you know what? We're just enjoying the ride, fellas. Hey, I, I feel you. I feel you. Just enjoying the ride. But that is going to conclude our baseball talk. We are going to be talking more in hour two. Make sure you tune into that. But we are going to take it over to the association, if I do say so myself. We had a major signing. In fact, it was a record signing for an offer sheet from DeAndre Ayton uh, in which he signed with the Indiana Pacers. The Indiana Pacers for a four-year, $133 million maximum contract with the Indiana Pacers. Shortly thereafter, I think it was like not even a few hours later, the Phoenix Suns did choose to match. They had 48 hours to make a decision, and they realized that with the number one overall pick, you just can't lose them for nothing. And rightfully so, they did match. So he is going to stay in Phoenix for the time being. Boys, what is y'all's takeaways from DeAndre Ayton? Uh, I think it's an overpay, personally. Because um, he kind of struggled in the playoffs when he, whenever he was met with smaller guys. Um, and it was surprising that the Pacers would take that step because it looks like they're trying to build something new. Um and I wouldn't have picked up Aiton, but with the Suns matching, I don't know if they're trying to package something to try and get like Kevin Durant, or I don't know what they're doing, but that's a lot of money to give Aiton. Um, and yeah, he is a center, and it's hard to find a really good dynamic center in this league, but I wouldn't have given him that money. Well, is he dynamic? I mean, I feel like dynamic's even a stretch at some points. <laughs> he becomes small in big moments, yes, but as his skill set is, he can be dynamic, I think. Kevin, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I first want to ask y'all, who do you think he means more to, the Pacers or the Suns? I mean, the Pacers were the one that were willing to give him that straight up, like no – waiting no nothing like they were like hey listen we want you we want you in indian pacers uniform there have been rumors for weeks or months that indiana was interested in them and they finally got a contract to look like done and uh 
yeah, now, now he's in Phoenix where they're like, well, we don't really want him at that price. But again, it's like if we let him walk for nothing, when I mean, you invest the number one pick in the guy. So it's just uh, as Anthony's going crazy in the chat right now saying, okay. <laughs> Tyler, stay off the, uh, the, the devil's lettuce. I'm not going to say the actual word, but <laughs> it apparently has a problem with your take. But uh, who do you have? Uh, who do the Suns have at center besides Aiden? That's that's a good point, Anthony. I will admit, but uh, yeah, listen, Aiden's not worth 133 million over four years. I 100 percent agree. Um, it's just it's too much of a pot of a price to pay for a team that's already surrounded by all stars all over and is trying. I get it. You're trying to win a championship. I don't think DeAndre Aiden has to be on that team to win a championship. He's their fourth most important player. Yeah. Fourth most, but if you're fourth most important, that's fine as long as you're not getting paid four years, hundred three million dollars, hundred thirty three million dollars, three max max slots. Yeah, you don't so, give your full guy a max. It's just that simple. I just I don't know, man. I will say so, Tyler. You brought up something interesting that I want to circle back to um, the Kevin Durant thing. So now the Suns are in a difficult spot. Because hypothetically, the, the salaries would work if they traded like Aiton and Bridges, for example, and draft picks for Kevin Durant, maybe add like another player or two. But because of the, uh, the rule where you can't have people from like the same rookie extension thing, they can't have Ben Simmons and Devin Booker on the same team, basically. Or like, or I forget how it works. So like Devin Booker can't be in the trade. So there's been a lot of teams that have potentially floated the idea that it's going to be like a multiple team trade to try to get Kevin Durant to Phoenix. It, the, the question would be really, because Indiana would be the team that you would hypothetically think DeAndre Ayton would go to. I don't, they signed Nicholas Claxton to like a multi-year million dollar deal. Who's the center in Brooklyn. I don't think the Nets would really want that much money developed at the center position from like, as you said, the dynamic, that or dynamic front court of uh, Claxton and Aiton. Do you think there may be another team that could want DeAndre Aiton? Maybe just as somebody to bring in the ticket sales. Um, I mean, that's going to be a team that either needs a second star or has nothing at this point. Just a lot of money to spend. Like the Lakers. <sighs> let's not. Let's not. Try I wouldn't it. say the Lakers, but uh, I don't know. Who needs a center? I mean, everybody needs a center these days, but who needs a center who shrinks, as you as you call it? <laughs> and who needs it that bad? Right, exactly. Yeah. And that's 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 the that's the question that Phoenix might have to deal with if they're trying to get Kevin Durant, because I just it's Aiden again it, on maybe some other team he could really afford to be the one of those higher paying players. You know, just as a cornerstone piece. I mean, he's still young. I mean, he just signed his rookie extension. So, I mean, he's got time to improve, but I just, yeah. I, I mean, don't, does, this, does this basically mean that the Phoenix Suns are out for the Kevin Durant sweepstakes, though? I mean. It, it would, it, I would be, sh there, I don't feel like there's a way for it to be straight up. I don't know. I, I think there, you'd have to get more. I think there's too many complications. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, you can you can circumvent those uh, those uh, complications by adding in those extra teams so that you can maybe send eight in here, maybe get another player involved, send more draft picks to Brooklyn. But 
I don't see a straight shot of just what Phoenix currently has on the roster for Kevin Durant. Keep in mind, Brooklyn's still wanting like an all-star caliber player. Last I checked, Aiden or Bridges hasn't quite there yet. I know Bridges finished runner-up in the defensive player of the year. I just don't think it's going to be enough to get Kevin Durant. See, Anthony saying the Trailblazers. Trailblazers, I mean, yeah, that could be maybe. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, Dame did sign the contract, so he must so be looking really what the front office yeah. is doing. So they got Dame. I'm trying to think of the cap space with that. They just signed Anthony Simons to that big uh, $100 plus million contract. Um, maybe, I guess. I mean, that could be a, that could be an option. Um, yeah, Portland would have to get involved, too, and send some pieces back to to uh, Brooklyn as well. So, and I think I think the the Blazers mindset is they're trying to go defensive. And Aiden's not a bad defender by any means, but I don't know how much the interest level would be from uh, Portland. But that's an interesting point, Anthony. Anthony really contributing in, even though he's not here. It's it's crazy how much airtime he's getting. Yeah, no, right? <laughs> but, yeah, so definitely something interesting to keep your eye on. But speaking of potential moves, I know, Kevin, you want to talk about this last episode, so I made sure to put it in this episode. Donovan Mitchell, Utah Jazz. Apparently, they are reported listening to teams' offers. Apparently, the New York Knicks also came very close in making a deal to trade for the All-Star guard. I'm looking at the odds right now, and they were updated roughly around lunchtime, so hopefully they haven't changed too much. But the Knicks are the favorite to land Donovan Mitchell with the Heat and the Celtics rounding out the top three. My question is, is where do you guys want to see Donovan Mitchell if it's not in Utah? I think – I don't think there's a real way that Boston can get him and not give up too much. The Heat, I don't really know if he would feet, like really fit in with that Heat culture. But then again, I could be wrong. You know, uh, we uh, it's been proven time and time again that players can fit in the Heat culture – quotations, whatever you want to put around it. So I think I think the Knicks are the favorite to sign them, and it'll probably it'll probably happen to you know it's just gonna take a little bit, but I mean if it's not the Knicks and it's not the Heat and it's not the Boston Celtics, it's kind of I could be over I could I could be you know overdoing it a little bit, but it's kind of like the Kevin Durant situation. All other teams in the NBA should be calling about, hey, what's the price for Donovan Mitchell? You know, it never hurts to add a superstar. So, um, as much as I'd love to say the Mavericks, I know that's not a realistic shot. We'd have to give up too much for him too. So it's kind of it's kind of a tough situation where he could go. Um, would he go to a championship contender? Would he go to a team that's in a rebuilding stage? Because it's kind of where Utah's at now. So it's it's kind of, you know, where is this all going to end? So, I mean, Tyler, was it you or Cullen that had that package that the Knicks were trying to send? Or, yeah, that the Knicks were trying to send to Utah? It was me. Okay. Can you, can you say that again? So there was a reported deal between the – New York Knicks and the Utah Jazz that the Knicks, I believe it was the Knicks who declined it. Yes, the Knicks ended up declining. So reportedly for Donovan Mitchell, the Jazz wanted Emmanuel Quickly, Obi Toppin, Quentin Grimes, Miles McBride, and not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but six first-round picks for Mr. Donovan Mitchell. 
two things obviously jump out of that. One is obviously the six first round picks that I'm sure you guys are chomping at the bit to talk about. But the second thing that I, I briefly mentioned earlier, RJ Barrett not being in the deal. To me, I feel like he would have been like for sure a piece that would be going back to Utah if the Knicks were to make a trade. And apparently the Jazz didn't mention him in their wants. So, yeah, what are y'all's thoughts on that potential deal that was apparently close? close to just absolutely insane that a team could think that a person is valued at six first-round picks. And multiple players. And, and, and multiple all-star young players. I don't know no. if they've played an all-star yet, but maybe all-star potential. Like, yeah, like it, they're no, still first round. I mean, it, right. there's just no way. I mean, look, Donovan Mitchell's a really good, really good basketball player. He's played great. He's played in a in a in a, in a tough system in Utah. But I mean, he has his moments where he has not clutched up for the Utah Jazz, and I'll be the first to say that he has clutched up for them a lot, but multiple first-round playoff exits, and plus me, as a Mavericks fan, I know what first-round playoff exits are all about, but the Utah Jazz have struggled, and they just lost their head coach. Mm -hmm. Donovan Mitchell has to step up, but to give a guy that's still kind of in question on his leadership eligibility, give a team first six first-round picks and almost an entire squad, that's just too much. I mean, six years, that's a whole championship window that you're giving away. I I don't even think he'd work that well on the Knicks. I mean, I think the best option is the, the Heat um, or any team that's, like, built up defensively because the big hole in Mitchell's game is he's not a good defender at the perimeter. Uh, but, like, the Celtics and the Heat, they're very strong defensive teams that may need another scorer. Um, so... But the Knicks, it, it's, it makes no sense why they would get him. I mean, it makes sense because they need more all-star talent. But at the same time, got to build up a defense at the backcourt. To your point, Tyler, um, I want to know a backcourt of Jalen Brunson and Donovan Mitchell, who they're checking. Like, I'm, I'm dead serious. Like, th- that backcourt is undersized. Brunson at least will try on defense, but he's limited, obviously, because of his his height and his length and everything. And Donovan, Donovan, defense to me, I mean, obviously there is talent on the defensive end, but a lot of it's effort. I mean, let's be clear. Like you, if you show up effort on defense, you can be you can change your perception on defense very quickly. I think he got tired of playing with Rudy Gobert and the constant like structured or Quinn Siders uh, system, and I think that's probably why he wants a fresh start and everything. I agree, Tyler, that I don't want to see him on the Knicks. It, it seems like the most likely outcome, but I just – I don't see that team. I mean, they could make the playoffs, maybe the play-in. They're not getting – I mean, they're not better – they wouldn't be better than uh, the Bucks. They're not better than the Celtics. They're not better than the Heat, and they're not better than the 76ers, at least. And I'm not even counting, like, Toronto or anybody else that could be potentially – or the Hornets that could come up, any of those teams. All these so, teams built up young cores, too. Yeah. Exactly. And or yeah, Cleveland's gonna be better next year. I mean, the Knicks, they would be, I mean, it would be interesting. Like Donovan Mitchell would be one of the better players they've acquired in my lifetime, along with like Mello, Mari Sotomayor, stuff like that. But which then again, my lifetime runs pretty long, according to Kevin. So maybe I gotta add more names to them. But what what'd they do with Carmelo Anthony and Amari Sotomayor? 
nothing. Yeah, well, they had to gut the team to get him, and that's what they would essentially be doing with Donovan. Exactly. It repeats itself. Exactly. I mean, and Melo was a similar player to Donovan Mitchell. I mean, he fantastic offensively. Kind of struggled on the defensive side. I wouldn't give up your whole young core for him and your future young core for him. I'm so glad, Anthony, you brought that up because I that was I'm not gonna just jump into that. Anthony put in our chat the Jazz got four first round picks from Minnesota, so why wouldn't the Knicks want them? Here's the thing: the the NBA hates what Minnesota gave up for Rudy Gobert because in no world should they have acquired four first round picks and a pick swap and all the players that they got for Rudy Gobert. And now the value of players is going to be astronomical. Like if Rudy Gobert can achieve that, what are the Nets going to possibly want for Kevin Durant? I mean, mean, forget Donovan Mitchell for a second. What are, what is Kevin Durant going to get? It's a King's ransom. I mean, they're saying that they want it to be the biggest trade of all time. What we just mentioned for Donovan Mitchell alone sounds like what could be the biggest trade of all time. I mean, it's what, a what are we even talking player. about anymore? I mean, here's the franchise. Give us Kevin Durant. He would. I want selfishly. If I could just pick where Donovan could just go and I could just put him on a team, I would want him to be on the Miami Heat. I think the Celtics okay. got their own thing. They've kind of got their own background. I like what they signed with Brogdon and uh, Danilo Gallinari. Should hopefully give him some more scoring off the bench. To me, Miami would be the perfect fit. However, because of their lack of picks that they can assemble in the trade, I think they've got like only two first rounders that they have control of that they could potentially send. Um, And the packages, I mean, obviously you're not trading with Jimmy. You can't trade away Bam because Bam is going to be your only chance to try to compete with Giannis and Embiid in the East. And you're obviously not going to trade him. He's one of the more underrated assets that they have. Kyle Lowry, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson. Like I'm just listing off the guys that he could potentially include. I don't know if that moves the needle. And with the lack of first round picks, it just doesn't seem likely that Miami could potentially lure him away unless, again, they maybe got another team involved. I just, this is going to be a very interesting situation. My gut tells me he lands in New York, but I, this is just typical Knicks. This is I, so typical Knicks. This, the asking price is just too much. But I mean, bringing Donovan Mitchell back into this equation, if that's the asking price that the Jazz are wanting, is Donovan Mitchell even going to get dealt at that point? I mean, they have to lower their asking price for him. They just got to know that unless that was just like, hey, we're going to th- throw this crazy freaking trade out and see if it sticks. And they got close. And so maybe maybe they're going to keep working with the Knicks and see what they can do. But, I mean, if this is what they really honestly truly want for Donovan Mitchell, I just – I don't see it happening. Likewise, could have said it better myself, Kevin. Um, one last topic before we get into our mixed bag to round out our number one. Adam Silver was recently, um, you know, talking about the potential future of the NBA, what could be happening in the next collective bargaining agreement. And uh, he was speaking Tuesday night from the Summer League and said he's hopeful that the current age limit will be changed during the next collective bargaining agreement from 19 to 18 to enter the NBA. Uh, he is said, or he's quoted as saying, it's the right thing to do. Um, this would be a change. Obviously, the one and done would be uh, eliminated from this rule, and players could go straight out of high school to the NBA for the first time in a very long time. So, 
What are y'all's thoughts on potentially the age limits of the NBA getting reduced? This is only because LeBron saw that Bronny had interest in the Texas Longhorns as a college. He went to Adam Silver and said, hey, this is what I want to happen. And so now this is what's happening. We're going to see Bronny in the league at age 18. Can't convince me otherwise. Do you see what I have to put up with, Tyler? Oh, my God. I don't agree with it, but that that rationale seems kind of out of left field. Um. I think they learned their – I thought they learned their lesson uh, from the early 2000s when a lot of guys were high school. Sure, you have great players come from that, but some of them, they don't have the financial literacy. They don't – they're not built up afterwards. And now with NIL, they're making money in college because um, I think that was a big problem. Guys would go from high school, they don't have much money, and they go to college and they can't make money for that year. But now with NIL, you can. You can make money. You can make yourself successful. Um, I don't like having 18-year-olds back in the NBA because I think that era proves why guys need to go to college for at least one year. Uh, I, I remember two years ago, they were thinking about making it – you have to go two years. Yeah, 20. I mean, so it yeah. seems kind of backwards. I get you have these young prospects that – are kind of NBA ready, but a lot of them aren't NBA ready. And I think it's more fair to have them start off in college. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, I feel like it's a money move as a lot of things are in the world of sports because they do see that the fact that players um, are gaining the ability to get compensated from their name, image, and likeness. And now they're choosing to play uh, professional uh, overseas or in the G league and the NBA at the end of the day, like if they could, they, the NBA doesn't necessarily care about the ones that flame out. They want the stars and they want them in the NBA as soon as possible to drive up ratings, to drive up revenue. And I think that's the main end goal here. Uh, Silver was also uh, noted that it's probably in the league's best interest to begin interacting with players at a younger age in order to help them develop both on and off the court. That's not the reason. That's a load of you-know-what. Yeah. And I think Adam Silver knows it. I think the league knows it, which – Again, I, I, I agree with your analysis, Tyler. Um, I just think Adam Silver is so pro player that this is kind of what the players want. And I think Silver is going to make this happen. Um, and I wouldn't be shocked if in the next couple of years uh, we're seeing 18-year-olds back in the NBA again. I, on, an, on a real note, I don't – I agree with you all. I, I just don't think it's in the best interest of the league. I think it takes away from what we all love in college basketball, even if it's the, it is the one and dones. I mean, we're talking about March Madness here. Um, you know, so it, 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 if it really did come to this, it would suck because those highly touted athletes that we see come out of high school, we wouldn't be – we won't be able to see in college. Um, but – I mean, if that's what the players want and that's what the commissioners want and that's what the commissioner wants, it's going to happen. And we'll see, we'll see, we'll see what happens this time. We'll see if history repeats itself. Yeah, I think we're all pretty much in agreement there. All righty. To close out hour number one, this is Tyler's first time. It's the mixed bag where we take random topics from all around the world of sports, condense them down into one minute. And just try to see what all we can get out, really just kind of test out uh, how knowledgeable we are around the sports world. And I think it's a nice, interesting kind of little tidbit that we've added in. 
Now, Tyler, you're a guest, so I'm not going to make you go first because that would just be, you know, mean and everything. Uh, do you want to potentially go second? Do you want to go last? Um, where do you feel comfortable uh, potentially doing it? Uh, I'll go. I'll go last. Okay. Safe, safe to say, I just didn't want to like force it upon you, whatever, to go first. That's Kevin, the last. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great Tyler Luker going last, round it off. Kevin, do you want to start off? Do you want me to go? How do you want to do it? <sighs> Let me get the fire cooking. You're going to, all right. So you're going to kick it off. So I'm going to do the randomizer to, to name your topic. Um, I'm going to also do the timer as well. Uh-huh. Um, and I'll let you know, obviously, when it gets down to 10 seconds, so you can kind of wrap it up. Uh, let me randomize your topic here. Set it here on my fancy, dancy little Google thing right here. And boom. All right. Your topic, Mr. Kevin Walker, is Lamar Jackson's Twitter beef. Let's go. I wanted to do this one. All right. Very interesting here. Kevin, let me know whenever you're ready, and I will count you down to start the clock of the one-minute Mixed bag kickoff. I'm running. The shade's coming out and everything. All right. Three, two, one, go. So if you don't know, you should know. You should go follow Lamar Jackson's Twitter, one of probably the funniest guys in the NFL. Um, He's just hilarious, has no filter, does not care what you think. And that has been proven over these past few days. He has had a confrontation with a former, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he used to play for the Ravens. Um, and he and he had he was quoted saying that Lamar Jackson, no, no wide receiver wants to come to Baltimore because they don't want to play with Lamar Jackson and the running system that John Harbaugh has. And so um, Lamar Jackson clapped back at him, basically dissed him on Twitter, basically saying that he will he didn't even know who he was. It was a really embarrassing moment for the guy. My end, mo- my end point is: do not come from Lamar Jackson on Twitter. He will roast you, whether if you have a blue check mark or not. Um, and Lamar Jackson's goaded, and um, yeah, just don't come at Lamar Jackson. All right, did it all in a minute. I'm very impressed. I'm really um, good at the timing. You are. Uh, one thing I will say, put some respect on Bernard Pollard's name, man. Safety, Super Bowl champion. Baltimore Ravens, but yeah, no, it was hey. it was interesting. I mean, you know, I, not if you ask Lamar Jackson. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But yeah, very interesting job. Well done, sir. Did a great job leading us off. Okay, so I'm up next. So I'm going to randomize. Going to change these numbers here real quick. All righty. It looks like I'm going to be talking about Nick Saban and competitive balance which means Tyler will be talking about NHL free agency. So, Tyler, while I'm doing this, if you want to, you know, maybe get yourself a little ready, that is the advantage of last. So, if you got anything, maybe you want to look up and everything. Kevin, I'm going to need you to run the time for me because I'm going to be talking some Nick Saban and competitive balance here on the Fools on Stools podcast. Okay, I got you. Let me know when you're ready, and I'll count you down. I'm ready, brother. All right. Three, two, one. Go. Nick Saban, six-time, seven-time, however many-time national champion, one of the greatest college football coaches of all time, ironically with Bear Bryant, also the University of Alabama, has got some of the thinnest skin I've ever seen ever since this NIL deal has come out. 
Uh, he's complaining about competitive balance. He's complaining that the unfair wages are unfair compared to Alabama, say to like Texas or some other places. And now he's complaining about because of all these super conferences that the competitive balance, it just won't sit right with college football. And what about tradition? And what about this? And blah, 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 blah. Nick, you haven't scheduled a tough road out of conference game in your time there at Alabama. You're always playing Citadel and teams like that to begin the year. When I get it, you play in the SEC, you're playing in a tough conference. Nick, do better, man. Nick, you sound like an old man. You sound like you're out of touch, you're out of times, and you're not going to sit well with the kids. And hopefully, the kids are listening. I'm bad. Not bad. I'm bad. Yeah. Grow up, Nick Saban. Grow up. All right. I will do the clock, clock tick down for Mr. Luker. Uh, Tyler, I gave you a little bit extra heads up, so hopefully I'm not rushing you too much with this since this is your first time on the subject. Okay. I feel like you're ready? Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to count you down, three, two, one, and I'll let you know when we get down to 10 seconds. All right? Okay. All right. Three, two, one. So for the NHL free agency, it has been the summer of overpays this far. Uh, I mean, guys are getting huge contracts like Claude Giroux. Uh, he's past his prime. He's getting a big deal. Um, Johnny Hockey coming out of nowhere to join the, the Blue Jackets. It was a surprise. Uh, I think it's good for their team. But I want to focus on the Stars because we are Dallas area. The Stars did slightly overpay Marchment, but – he just had a career year. They needed some help defensively with physicality as well. And I think they really improved by, by grabbing him. I mean, he's fantastic as a defender, as a wing. Um, so that just improves their defense even more. And then just they need some scoring help to just help with the first line of Pavelski, Hintz, and Robertson. Because guys like Sagan, uh, Sagan did have a better year last year. But Ben seems like he's cooked. Um, they really need to improve their scoring. And I think the signings they're making are improving that. Um, and they're getting younger. That's the thing. Uh, but so far with NHL free agency, it's been interesting because guys are going to teams that you would never expect them to go to, like Giroux going to the Senators and Goudreau to the Blue Jackets. But it's been kind of a joy to see because um, NHL – I mean, when I'm saying an overpay for Marchman, he's getting four and a half million a year. Doesn't seem that big one compared to other sports, but it is big in the NHL. Um, but it has been an interest, interesting free agency thus far. And I think it's only going to heat up as we go along. All right. Well, for your first time, I will say you nailed the, the knowledge, the information, everything. You did go over the time limit by well, a significant amount, but it was your first time. And it's a lot, it's a big topic for you to try to nail down in one minute. So I appreciate you giving us quality over the quantity of time that we were asking for. So I do appreciate that, Mr. Luker. Job well done, boys. It's another mixed bag. I just realized we actually like went in order first, second, third on the topics, first, second, third order. Very nice, really smooth. So appreciate y'all as always uh, tuning in to the Fools on Stools podcast. We are going to be back for hour two with Cullen's Corner. Luker's lock and Kevin's kickback among many other things. So make sure you tune into that. Boys, you got anything to say before we close out hour number one? Hour two is going to be hilarious. Be sure to tune in. Hopefully Luker 
can get his uh, Luker's lock intact, and um, hey, maybe we might be wearing something funny, so tune in. Absolutely. All right, from the Fools on Stools, make sure you tune in to episode 33 from Cullen Brown, myself, Kevin Walker, Tyler Luker, saying thank you so much and peace. Peace.